Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine. Today, we are talking about the hottest legal topics of the week. And this is really the hottest legal topic of last week and this week. So we are talking about the Supreme Court decisions. And today, we are going to address the one regarding Biden's student loan forgiveness program and the one regarding LGBTQ rights. So that's our topic for today, which is really hot this week in talking of it's everybody's front of mind. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. It's how you do. And I am joined today again by our constitutional law scholar, Dr. John Vile. Welcome back. Good to be here. And so everybody knows, if you haven't tuned in with us before, Dr. Vile is um, a scholar on constitutional law, the Constitution, the amending process, First Amendment freedoms, Fourth Amendment freedoms, um, and protections, as well as so many other things that I am really pleased that you're able to analyze these two cases, especially today with us, um, that have just come down. There's a lot of rhetoric about both cases that, in my judgment, is really far afield. Um, oh, interesting. I and I actually didn't like the way you formulated one of the one of the issues, but we'll oh, talk really? about that. You, you follow you follow the media and saying that one of the cases is primarily about LGBTQ rights, and I don't believe that it. Is. I mean, it does indirectly deal with that, but I believe it's more a First Amendment case than it is that. And the way you state it often will tell you, probably not in your case, but in many cases will tell you what the person all, all thinks about it. Right. So, and, and it's fascinating. And we definitely, I want to talk about that and have you discuss it more. Um, but that is the way that it is being portrayed. And and not to to take away from anyone, it, it does feel like in so much of the country that this was a blow to rights by the LGBTQ community. Um, so it's certainly the impact is there. Whether the case stated it or not, the impact has certainly well, been much broader than maybe the specific freedoms discussed. That's been the perception. I would say that this is one of the cases where I may disagree vehemently with oh. what you say, but you have a right to say it. We're not to say it. We're not to say it. I think it's a, in many ways, it's it's if you can if you consider it as a compelled speech case hmm. rather than an LGBT case, then it protects the speech of parties on both sides. Okay, uh, well, we were going to do oh, the, let's do the other one first. No, sure. no, no, no. We were going to oh. do student loan forgiveness first, but since we're already talking about it, I think it's appropriate to start there. But before we do, because it's the legal weekly wine and it is happy hour, I want people to grab their favorite beverage. And I know for you, it's your trusty bottle of water. <laughs> For us today, we are going to do a rosé, um, a beautiful wine, um, it, absolutely gorgeous, as most rosés are, um, but it's the 4th of July week, it's summer picnic time, I thought we'd do something nice and refreshing, and this one is, and I'm so going to butcher the names, um, but Babylon Storin. I think is what it, the pronunciation, um, but it is a rosé and it's the official rosé of the RHS Chelsea Flower Show of 2021. So a nice and flowery and um, it is a product of South Africa. So I'm going to, and I keep saying so, so I apologize. So I apologize for that. Um, we are going to cheers and start with some controversial cases you ready i've got to ask you did you look up the word storing no i didn't we need to you, you need to look i don't know uh it might be dutch since it's coming from south africa but it right. would be you know is that a family name or does it mean <laughs> does it mean if you, if you don't know the meaning of this you're in her <laughs> really not wine related i i really have no idea what i'm talking about so yes let's look at i did not even think about it being 
Assyria. And Babylon, obviously, is a re reference to the uh, Middle East. Uh, right. Used to be one of the hanging gardens of Babylon, were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Oh, so interesting. Okay. Again, my suspicion is that it might be Dutch or English. It might be. Let's see. It's a, a verb to disturb, to bother, or interfere with. Huh. What German? language? Oh, there German. it is. Hold on. No, it looks like it might be Dutch. I think you might be right. I think it might be Dutch. Okay, I think I've gotten your whole program all over here. No, it's so fascinating. <laughs> I'm glad to know. And it, yeah, it seems to be a verb to to intrude, to exasperate, to trouble, to harass, um, which is absolutely quite fascinating. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to look that up a little bit okay. more. And I so if you get indigestion after this, <laughs> you'll know what it really means. <laughs> I'm drinking it because these cases are so disturbing. That's yes. what I'm doing. Um <laughs> No, that's great. I always, everybody, you can check out the descriptions um, in both the audio and video podcasts that we're doing. I always drop a link to the wine so that you can check it out and we can all investigate what the meaning of the, the name is. But in the meantime, cheers. Oh, that would go well with cheese. That is absolutely a perfect picnic wine. I'm it. It's almost what I think of that would go with a good main chango, which I'm butchering the name again. But um, for those of you listening, you can probably get which which cheese I'm talking about. That's how I would. Is that French? I think it's actually Spanish. Okay. Because, I think it's you know, if it's French, cheese. I'm going to ask what you did with the money. No. <laughs> <laughs> when you majored in French, I don't know. I yeah, I know. It's we'll move past the names here. <laughs> so let's talk about this case. Tell us what the actual facts are first, so that we're fully understanding. Okay, now we're we're doing the the. Cre We're going to do the three creative LLC versus Alanis. Uh, Correct. Not, may not be pronouncing right. The wedding so, planner case. So, so basically, now let me tell you that both of these cases, and and frankly, I haven't had time. It's been a very busy week, and I haven't had time to investigate as much as I would like to. But both of these cases have major questions about standing. And this is something that attorneys care a lot more about mm. probably than the typical, you know, person, um, the non-attorneys. But what is, a, you know, the in theory at least, U.S. courts do not take hypothetical cases. They do not give, what's, I'm looking for another term. Oh. And I'm blanking on it. Um, and, and here I am too, and I'm the attorney. Um, in, in any event, you, they don't give any kind of opinion. They don't give advisory opinions. That's but, what it is. Right. So to get to the court, you have to establish what's known as standing, which typically means you have to have a genuine case and controversy. You have to have someone who will actually gain or lose often monetarily, although not necessarily so, but someone who had, what we'd say is someone with skin in the game. Hmm. And the, the, this case in Colorado pushes the limits, I would say, of this, because you have, as I understand it, you have a woman who has already some kind of services for weddings. Uh, she wants to expand this to I guess to the net, she, she wants to do videos for couples, you know, that she would be paid for and would say celebrate, you know, where their first date was, how they met, uh, how long they've been together, what their plans are, that sort of thing. And she says that she is concerned 
and she has some right to, I should say she has some, in Colorado has a very strict rule against any kind of discrimination against LGBTQ plus individuals. And so in they fact- expand protections. Right, they have a very strong equal, I guess we would say equal protection for, for all that applies to here. And, you know, this is not the first case that comes out of Colorado. There was previously a case involving something called like Masterpiece Cake. Uh, it was a person who did cakes who- The wedding cake. Right, who was willing to provide cakes or other wedding supplies to, to all couples, but who was unwilling to decorate cakes that would celebrate gay marriages and can both these individuals, you know, are professed Christians who say they believe a marriage should be restricted to one man and one woman. Um, and in the previous case, the court actually did side with the cake maker in saying that the, in adopting this law that Colorado had actually expressed animus against anyone who did not believe in gay marriage or did not mm. promote gay marriage. And so, so it was almost a reverse discrimination that they were forcing people to comply with others' opinions. So it wasn't necessarily that they were well, providing equal protection. Again, the court doesn't usually look into motives, mm. but in this case, it came, in the previous case, it came pretty close. It, it basically mm. said, this seems to be a law designed to make Christian, you know, Christians of this particular persuasion squirm. Uh, and it's so obvious that, you know, as long as you, and so this case is sort of an extension of that. If you can't be forced, if, if that's the right term here, to put a message on a wedding cake that you disapprove of, can you be, are you obligated if, if a gay couple were to come and say, we want our marriage celebrated on this video. Can you say, no, I don't believe in celebrating that. Uh, I don't want to. Now, what's tricky is, I, I think given the laws in place in Colorado, one might suspect that she would run afoul of the law, but she hasn't actually done so. And in fact, to my knowledge, she has not actually even created any videos as yet. And so it becomes something of a, the critics say the court is leaning over backwards. They're reaching out to create a case in controversy where one doesn't really exist. And there, there's further controversy, and I don't know the truth of it. She claims that someone had, that a gay couple had, in fact, approached her about doing such a video the person that she apparently identified says he's not gay and he did not approach her about mm -hmm. this. And so there, it, this is part of the background, which I think muddles the case a lot. Yes. Uh, you know, I can, un I can understand that if she, in fact, is planning to do a new business, that she would rather know beforehand whether she is required to do something that she doesn't want to do or not. But is there an actual, does she, has she actually done anything to this point where she would win or lose? I think the answer may be no. And so, so who was the other party then? Who is the, the controversial party on the other side that's engaged in this lawsuit? Well, I think she's okay. Lori Smith is the owner of this creative 303 Creative LLC. And I'm assuming that Alenis is probably, and I should know this, uh, probably a state defendant, someone who is representing the, the Colorado law here. I okay. should know that, but I, but I don't remember it right off. So it was actually this, this wedding planner, so to speak, who sued preemptively well, the state. That... that that may be, a, that is the accusation. In other words, okay. the, the people who think that, well, who would rather the court have not interfered are saying that the court 
leaned over backwards in order to take this case. I don't know enough about the facts to be able to say whether that's correct or not. But you have something of a similar issue, by the way, in the other case that we're going to discuss, the student loan case. Uh, there aren't too many people getting whose student loans were forgiven who are going to be complaining about it. <laughs> right. So, right. They're know, not saying, did you need to take my money? Right. Back? So that that's also a case where it has been. Now, what, what happens in that case is Missouri, if I remember, one of the states who's fighting this has set up a corporation to handle student loans. And they're saying, we're going to lose $44 million because that was the fee we were going to get for handling all these loans. And the court says 44 million, you know, that's real money to most people. Um, and so, yeah. you know, that, that is a case or controversy, but it, but it is interesting. It, it, again, I, I wish, and I, I don't think I can do it. I wish I could, I try to, but people are not consistent when it comes to the Supreme court. Mm. Do we favor precedent? Absolutely, if it's a precedent we agree with. Do mm -hmm. we, what if it's one we disagree with? Well, the Constitution should trump precedent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do we think the court should reach out and take a case that maybe isn't quite yet ripe? Well, if it's a case we think they're going to make the right decision on and it'll go in our favor, of course we do. But if then not, we then we're... Right. Then we're, you know, do we favor an activist court or, or, or a restrained court? Well, I hear, I have plenty of friends who say the court is too activist. And I say, well, don't I remember you supporting the Warren court? It was a very activist court. Uh, it's hard to be consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the things to remember about the court. And, and here I would, now, now here I'll be a little critical. The court does to need to make sure that it is dealing with real cases and controversies and that it clearly delineates why this is so, why it's not just a hypothetical case. Because if, if we consider that the court is simply reaching out to do, you know, to particularly, you know, we, we think it, it, justices are increasingly appointed according to litmus test, even though we say that we don't believe in them, right? Um, right. And if it's perceived that judges have been confirmed and justices have been confirmed because they're promising to do something and then they do it and they not only do it in a real case, but they, you know, they bend over backwards to find a case that does undermine the legitimacy of courts. Right. Now, that, that's that's absolutely fascinating. So so with this, was there any dissent that said we don't have standing? We this isn't right for review. We shouldn't be doing it at all. Well, I, I think there were questions in the dissents, but, but most of them focused on the issue. And again, what's so fascinating about this case, and I've chided you a little bit, but I, I've shouted at my television <laughs> and constantly having people saying, this is a case about LGBTQ rights. Well, mm -hmm. yes, their rights are involved, but it's also, you know, that's the negative spin given the way it, it went. But the positive spin is this is a case in which the court stood against the principle of compelled speech. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the precedents the court cites, the court cites, uh, one of them is the West Virginia versus Barnett, uh, the, the court case that says, you cannot compel a student to salute the American flag if it's against their beliefs. Why? Because we have, just as we have a right to speak, we also have a right not to speak or not to affirm something that we disagree with. And the majority, and it's a six-three majority, all three Trump appointees are on one side, although you know they have three others there. Um, and then you have uh, three justices. Uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, uh, and Jackson, who dissent and basically say this is really a case about unfair, you know, treat. It, it's a case involving interstate commerce. In other words, you have a business, you have a public business. It's not just family and friends. You want to set up a business. You want to invite people who are getting married to use your services. And then you're saying, but we won't won't serve you if you're gay. Now that's what that's what the dissenters say. 
the and they're saying the okay. interstate commerce part of it is because you're putting your services on the on the internet. Right. In other words, the the, the dissenters have a real concern, which is that if people in interstate commerce, and that's how we enforce largely the equal protection clause, the people in interstate commerce say, well, I don't serve redheads, mm -hmm. or I don't want to serve African Americans, or I mean, to take the one that would be the most obvious here, what if someone has, and I don't know that there are any religious groups today, but certainly in the past, there were religious groups who believed, who believed uh, that mixed racially mixed marriages uh, were unbiblical or unchristian. Right. So does this give the right to, now, now, I, I got to make Wait, a qualification. Finish that thought. Okay. Yeah, right. The dissenters are saying this is a case of rank discrimination against LGBTQ. The majority says, oh, now, and what, one of the fascinating things, and, and one of the things that smells a little odd about this case, and you'll know more about this than I do as an attorney, but this is a case of stipulations. There are like eight to 10 stipulations that frame how the court has to decide this case. Right. And one of the stipulations is that Ms. Smith is willing to serve uh, LGBT couples. What she says she's not willing to do is to compose a message or a video that celebrates something that she believes is immoral. Oh, interesting. So it's not that... In my judgment, Justice Sotomayor has overstated in her dissent when she says this is a clear case of discrimination against LBGTQ. The, the justices in the majority say no. The stipulation says she's quite willing to serve. She simply is unwilling to give a speech, a video on behalf of a group that when she thinks it's something wrong. Okay. And according to them, this works both ways. If I'm if I'm gay and I'm doing a similar service, and somebody comes and says, "I want you to uh, to do a video in which we say we're getting married because we're, because we're heterosexual and that's the only kind of marriage there is." then they would, as I understand it, have the right to say, no, I don't believe that's the only kind of marriage there is. I don't want to do this video. So that's why I gave that quotation earlier, that if, if you want to put the most positive spin on it, it is, you know, I don't believe in what you say, but you have the right to say it, or in this case, not to say it. Okay. So the court, is, the court is saying, this is a free speech issue. Uh, you shouldn't force you know, force an African-American or any American to, you know, if a Nazi comes to them and says, I want you to put, I want you to celebrate white supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting married in a white supremacist uh, campground, and we want the whole world to know that we're going to have white children. Uh, mm -hmm. You would be able to say, no, I, I mean, you know, do what, you, <laughs> if you want to do a video, you do it yourself. I'm not going to do it for you. Okay. So that's how, you know, that's the more, if you want to put a, if you want a positive headline, the positive headline is the first, the Supreme Court has protected the First Amendment right against compelled speech. Now, for most all. of the, hit, right, for, for all. Everyone, for heterosexuals, right. now, for it, the LGBTQ, even for Nazi supremacists, but in the sense that they can do their own. That's um, right. They don't have to do others. Um, that That is an interesting take that I have not heard in the media, but I think is a fair analysis of what the court actually decided, as well as these stipulations, I think is a really good point, is yeah. that stipulations are things that both parties in a lawsuit agree to. Yeah, these and again, the things we agree to, these are the facts that we will consent and send out. Right. And if the Supreme Court only has those facts to, to use, they can't make up other facts. They can't okay. go around right. that. So, so may I read a few of them? There's one, two, Please. three, four. 
five, six, seven, there are nine stipulations at the district court level. One, Ms. Smith is, quote, willing to work with all people regardless of classification, such as race, creed, sexual orientation, and gender. She will gladly create custom graphics and websites for clients of any sexual orientation. Hmm. Two, she will not produce content that, quote, contradicts biblical truth. Three, her belief that marriage is a union between one man and one woman is sincerely held. Uh, four, all the graphic and website design services she provides are expressive, which is, you know, First Amendment limitation. Uh, websites are original customized creations that contribute to the overall message. Um, again, expressive in nature. Most of the viewers will know that the websites are Miss Smith's and 303 Creative's original artwork, right. as opposed to, you know, this is a generic thing that you can use. Um, and finally, and this is also of some, of some importance, although, well, I, I have some reservations about it. To the extent Ms. Smith may not be able to provide certain services to a potential customer, quote, there are numerous companies in the state of Colorado and across the nation who offer custom design web services. And so, I think that's what's hard for me. And that's with a lot of these cases coming down, not just LGBTQ um, cases, is in the end, can't you just use somebody else's services? It's like the well, post office case is if he doesn't work on want to work on Sundays, why can't you just find another employee who wants to work on Sundays? Well, let, let me, if, let's put a qualification. We all know mm -hmm. about the green books, right? The what? Green books. I think I that's what think everyone does. Okay. So, <laughs> so prior to Brown versus Word of Education, if African Americans wanted to take a trip, they would typically go out and find a green book. And it would say, if you can't get service any, in any other motel, this motel will house you. Mm. Or if you can't find any uh, service stations, here's a service station that will service you. And so one could imagine a situation where prejudice against a certain group was so extensive that <laughs> They would, in fact, and then that's why I'm saying in, in this case, they're trying to get around that by saying this is not a service that if we don't do it, others can't. But, you know, I, I would hate for somebody to say, well, you know, yeah, there are half the restaurants in, uh, in your city that won't serve you, but there are half that will. That wouldn't be very satisfactory to me. Right. Uh, and I, I guess it goes back to the, the school segregation as well. You right. have other schools that you can use, but there the quality wasn't there to right. actually be equal. That's right. They were separate. Day. They were more separate than they were equal. So, I mean, that there, there's a, I understand, you know, both sides here, we see any infringement on liberty as a potential camel's nose in the tent or slippery mm -hmm. slope. Um, and I can understand the concern of the LGBTQ or any other community, but I do believe that ultimately it may be a decision that would protect rights on both sides. Uh, and what, you know, what's fascinating about it, I was, you know, as you know, I contribute regularly to this online first amendment encyclopedia and I was right. I, the, I try to get them to give me most of the religion cases because I've done a lot of writing and research in that area. And I thought it was going to be a free exercise case. One of the uh, freedom of religion cases. But to my knowledge, I don't think it's, it's certainly not mentioned in the majority, or if it is, it's only in passing. It's considered to be a pure speech, pure expression, pure compelled speech case that doesn't have anything to do. I mean, her belief, it does say in the stipulation that her belief is sincere, um, but Which it's is not, where we get the religious part of it. Right. But it's it's not decided on free exercise grounds It's decided on First Amendment free speech grounds. Hmm. And I don't know, is is productions, would that also be free press? 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean the publication. Yeah, I mean that is a yeah. good question. Is 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 this business or is it press? And I, I'm not sure how that ruling. Yeah, would go. probably more business than press. But in, in any event, it's it's a really fascinating case. Uh, he, here's what I think people are missing. I'm going to say the same thing on the. Now we've already covered it, but on the on the affirmative action case. Yes, it's being portrayed. As though, and what Gorsuch writes this decision, am I right? For the affirmative action? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Right. For the create for the cake case or the 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 wedding planner case. The wedding planner case. I believe that's correct. Gorsuch, and it's not that long ago, you can look back at decisions dissents usually by Scalia, which come close to being homophobic. That may be a little unfair. But, but certainly, I think that's the perception. Right. I mean, well, and that's that's it, part it, of the problem. Well, let's back up a minute. In Scalia's case, he clearly does believe traditional marriage, or did believe, I think, pretty much the traditional marriage. You know, marriage one man, one woman. That's it. And that comes across in in the vigor of his dissents. But in this case, Justice Gorsuch, who has written opinions on behalf of LGBT rights. He's not basing, he's not saying he is opposed to gay marriage or that gay marriage is immoral or unbiblical or unchristian. He is, and, and okay, then, then let's go. And in the, in the uh, Harvard case, the justices who are opposed to quotas, they're not saying we shouldn't have racial considerations because one race is inferior to the other. They're saying we shouldn't have racial considerations because the Constitution calls for equal protection of the law. They're arguing from really liberal in, in the mm. in the good way, you know, not liberal More conservative, inclusive. but yes, that there are they're arguing from liberal premises. Now, I understand that one can say, well, we need to use race to overcome race. But Justice Roberts says, well, I think the best way to overcome race is not to use race. They're both legitimate arguments, and they don't prove that they're, they're, they're not, they don't seem to be racist motivated, nor in my judgment, does the other, does the case we're talking about now seem to be homophobic. Uh, now, it can be, inter you know, if you have a headline that says Supreme Court rules against LGBT, but it, it would be like saying, you, you know, a court rules against, you know, if, if the court, the court, let's say there's a Christian sect who believe in, in, sac, in sacrificing their young, and the court rules against them, and you would say court rules against Christians. Mm. Well, no, it's not ruling against Christians. It, it's ruling against a set of behaviors. And in this case, it's saying we believe all people have the right to express what they want to and not to have to express what they don't want to. And that's how we're ruling. Yeah. I think, I think the ultimate fear though, and that's being presented by the dissent mm -hmm. is that it's such a naive view that yes, everyone should have equal protection no right should be limited. You should have equality, but there isn't actually equality. Right. That and it's that's almost again, like a Brown versus board is we're saying everyone's equal, but we're not. So because right. we're still not quite equal, isn't it more appropriate to err on the other side to create right. that equality yeah, well, rather than presume it exists? Right. And the point that I'm making is more limited. Mm -hmm. It's that people on both sides are arguing from the same premise that people are created equal, to go back to our July 4th presentation. How do you best implement equality? One group says we need to take race in consideration. The other group says we don't. Uh, so, but, you know, particularly if you view it as as you just stated it as what the facts are now, then one could argue that the court is becoming 
public policy oriented rather than, I mean, legally the principle that equal protection of the law means no consideration of race, mm. that's a very good general principle, even though maybe in reality, it's sometimes, you know, it's, it's more an aspirational goal What's sort of like the Declaration, you know, when the Declaration of Independence is written, all men are created equal. Well, tell that to the slaves outside on your plantation, Mr. Jefferson. Exactly. Uh, yeah, they probably didn't feel very equal. <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. Well, I I love these thoughts and, and I appreciate your analysis and especially breaking it down to what what the actual facts are. And, and what they're not so that, you know, opinions on both sides absolutely are, are legitimate. Um, but getting back to what is and is not said, I think is very important. You know, it's, it's one of the things that bothers me right now. A lot of things bother me, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I used to love to read Justice Scalia's decisions and I like to read Justice Ginsburg's decisions. They're fascinating. They're fascinating. But sometimes there's a little bit, you know, they catch the eye. And of course, if you're writing on dissent, as particularly if you're the only dissenter, you can say what you want to, and you don't have to get anybody else to agree with you. So you can state it as, as strongly as you want. And But I think we've gotten intoxicated by this. And I think... Mm. I think the dissenting justices in these last four cases have just gone overboard. Uh, I don't think it's fair to say, you know, th- this is a, you know, we're reinstituting race in the United States. You may disagree with the decision. You may think the outcome isn't good, but that's not what these people are saying. Mm-hmm. And in this case, to say, I mean, Sotomayor, as I understand it, as I read it, she basically says, this is giving permission to people to discriminate in their businesses not to serve LGBTQ customers. And the stipulations clearly state that that's not what's happening here, that this person is willing to serve. Uh, she's simply unwilling, or maybe simply, I'll not put the simply in there, not to understand, but she is simply unwilling to do messages that she thinks contradict her own beliefs. Hmm. All right. I love it. So on that note, let's then talk about the executive power. Okay. Um, you get me wound up there too. Okay. I know. Right. So it's, this is exciting stuff. It's, I mean, and that's the thing is it, I have, I love these Junes just like you do. You probably love them more than me. And in terms of the Supreme Court rulings and waiting and seeing what those big cases are, but especially this summer, how many people have been sitting around waiting for this student loan forgiveness program to be reviewed? 40 million of them, or is it 20 million? It's Uh, 30 million. Yeah. As if it matters, right? I mean, it's so yeah. many people who are just holding their breath as to whether the the forgiveness program will be approved. Now, right. before we get into that though, I believe that even without this act, some of it has already been forgiven. Is that correct? Well, as I understand it, the law has certain provisions. No, I, I don't think you are. The, okay. the law has certain provisions that I mean, there are there are individualized cases of hardship or death or or that kind of thing where loans can be forgiven routinely. The there there are provisions. I I think what I think where you're correct is part of the law. The collection has been temporarily suspended. Okay as a result of covid and there were a lot of people whose you know jobs were in jeopardy or were un- would have been unable to pay during that time biden then says well i'm going to extend you know not only am i going to extend the time uh, or the interest but we're going to extend the payment and he did it, he did so in a fashion that he forgave more for those who were pell eligible 
and those who earn less than $125,000 a year. Gotcha. But it basically extended, I mean, it's it's a $400 billion loan forgiveness. And where I come, you know, um, Senator Everett Dirksen used to say, you know, a million here, a million there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. We're talking 400 and some billion dollars of loan forgiveness. And that Biden was projected through this program. Right. In other words, mm-hmm. Biden was was willing to give that much loan forgiveness to many, many borrowers, some pretty much full forgiveness, others, you know, again, depending on their income, depending on their Pell eligibility and whatever less. And essentially the states, you know, states object. And let's go back here again. There is some question as to how the states establish standing. We talked about earlier, you know, there aren't many people whose loans were forgiven who said, you know, I, I, I want to pay the full please amount. Don't I don't do think, this. Yeah, yeah, please don't do this. But ultimately, the court, in what some people think is a fairly slender read, uh, found a way to establish standing by saying, here's a loan organization that Missouri has commissioned that it would be, it costs them at least $40 million uh, in profit were they to lose these loans. Um, but what I, here's what I want, and, and you know this, I want consistency. Yeah, right? we've been talking about that okay. is be consistent across so, the board. So when Donald Trump was, was president, I thought one of the most outrageous things that he tried to do was after Congress turned down $5 billion worth, drop in the bucket compared to this, five billion, I believe it was $5 billion, dollars that he wanted allocated to build the wall between the United States and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right. He said, well, that's fine. You won't okay. give me the money. You've given me money for defense. This is for our defense. I'm going to spend the money there. I thought that was outrageous because I'm a traditionalist. I believe in separation of powers. And to overemphasize, I believe that the legislature appropriates money and makes laws. The president enforces the laws and and the Supreme Court and other courts interpret the laws. Which is what is the setup in Articles that, One, Two, and now, Three? Again, and that's that's simplified. That's mm-hmm. that's the you know two minute version of the of the you know two day lecture on separation of powers. But I think there's a real concern when the president begins. Now it depends on on the legislation. There is some legislation where Congress will say, you know, this is going to be the tariff unless. X text takes place, and in that case, the president can lower or raise the tariff accordingly mm. to respond to other developments. And I think, you know, I think this law that the the Trump and and the agencies were trying to use, um, I'm trying to right, it gave the president some power to modify uh, student loans uh, dependent on certain circumstances. And this was a specific statute that Congress that, enacted. That, that's that's right. Uh, U.S. Code 2020 USC, and then the long number after that. Uh, he can waive or modify. It's called the Heroes Act. H e r e o e s authorizes the secretary quote to waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance program under Title IV of the Education Act as the secretary deems necessary uh, in connection with a war or other military or national emergency. So does that cover what what Biden did when he suspended loan payments during COVID? I think one could reasonably say yes. Based there was on so a much emergency that there was, you know, it wasn't a war, but, it, you know, a million people died. That's more than died in most U.S. wars. Um, you know, under those circumstances, discombobulation, all the things that occurred, I think that was reasonable. Is it reasonable? Now, 
do understand that Congress has subsequently, in the face of this, they have discussed, should we forgive student loans? And some members of Congress said yes, and others said no, but they did not adopt specific authorizing resolution for giving the loans. And what this ultimately comes down to then is I believe the court is saying, and please say if I'm wrong, but I believe the court is saying not that we can't forgive student loans, but That's the right. executive is not the place to do it. That's right. It's Congress. That's right. And that being said, and, 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 and you need to know this is, if there is a consistent theme of the Roberts Court, particularly in the last two or three years, it is we are tired of agencies, whether it's the EPA or, you know, education department or whatever it is, we are tired of them making policies that go so far beyond the original legislation that it's hardly recognizable. We're going to leave it to Congress. Now, that being said, in my humble judgment, we have as dysfunctional a Congress as we have ever had. Um, so, but they do not seem to be able to come together. They don't to seem to have their act together, them. in part because the country is so closely divided ideologically. Right. And when that happens, it means existing laws are unlikely to be rewritten, even sometimes in the face of dire emergencies, because and, and in part, and this is the sad thing, in part because members of Congress, even if they see something that they think should be done, they don't want it being done during the administration of the party opposite there. They don't want the other party to get credit for it. So in some ways, it's sort of sad that at the time when the court is saying Congress needs to step up to the plate, that it doesn't seem to be doing so. But that's my interpretation of the case. They're not right. Congress has the power to appropriate money or not to appropriate money, to forgive debts if they want to. But the court said, the majority says, this law does not give adequate authorization for what the president and the education department are trying to do. Right, because it's not, I mean, you were reading the law off and it seems fairly clear upon reading it that it's it's limited to in national emergencies and not well, just regular basis. There's a difference between modifying a law and abrogating the law. And as you know, you know, one of my one of my favorite topics of study is the constitutional amending process. Yes. And one of the things that, that I'm particularly interested in are those occasions where a Supreme Court of Justice will object and say, we have the power to interpret the law, but that's different from the power to amending the Constitution. Mm. Uh, right. You know, uh, equal, well, this is a little bit dated now, but, you know, we believe in equal rights for, for women, but you haven't adopted the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, probably not the best example, but... Uh, you know, just because it seems like, I mean, who, it, it's hard, well, it's hard to be against loan forgiveness, but I can actually make a pretty good argument as to why loan forgiveness is unfair. And the argument is this, um, how many people maybe didn't go to college at all because they couldn't afford it? Right. Or... In making, and of course, I come from a state university, so I have I have a dog in this fight. Mm -hmm. um, but how many people who could have gone to maybe a community college for free for two years, and mm -hmm. maybe gone to a state college where they could have gotten a scholarship, where they would have had in-state tuition, if they chose instead to go to an Ivy League university, is this fair to the working, you know, the children of the working? or maybe, or lower middle class who didn't have these opportunities to say, we're going to use, you know, we're going to use tax monies that you thought you were getting get, get back, and we're going to give it to these graduates of school, you know, who spent a lot of money on their education. Right. And I, it, it's hard for me, too, in, in that same line, because 
I mean, how many years ago did I go to law school or to undergrad? And, you know, the question is, what about you? I mean, you went to school how long ago and would your loans be forgiven? Well, if mine would be forgiven, why can't yours be forgiven? And it's a question of how far back would we go? How unfair is it to the current party or the former party? And for me, as part of my decision, as you know, I mean, I went to great schools. I went to Middle Tennessee State University where you are, (laughs) attended the Honors College, graduated from there. Um, went to William and Mary. These are these are no you know small schools with with poor averages or rankings. But part of the reason that I chose them, and I'm so thrilled that I did. But part of it was a calculation of of all of the schools that I've applied to. Which ones will I get the most value for my dollar? Right. And I could have gone to many other private schools. I got accepted to other private schools. Absolutely. And they gave you good scholarships and they were still twice the cost of coming here. Exactly. Is I I did get scholarships. And and how unfortunate then would it be to say, look, because I fought for all those scholarships, because I got scholarships to both of the colleges that I went to for undergrad and law school. Well, if I had to fight to get there, why did I even try to get a scholarship when I could have just gone and paid for it all, not worked as hard, not done the fellowships that I did so that I could have just taken out a loan and get, been forgiven for it? Well, and part of, I mean, part of this does go to, and here's where people may get caught short, a person two or three years ago when this was put into place going to college might get in their mind, well, if they forgave for this, maybe they'll forgive me down the line. And yeah. so it does it does call into question sort of the whole student loan idea for the future. Yeah. All right. So that that's great thoughts on it. I really appreciate you adding um, your thoughts and and talking us through these cases because I think it is both of them are fairly well misunderstood. And, um, and, and again, watch the headlines. You know, you see yeah. a headline, you know, the Supreme Court is against college students. No, that's not what it's, you know, now that, and I'm not making it, I mean, maybe I have sort of tipped my hand here, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, under certain circumstances, I would be for loan forgiveness. Sure. But I think that if it occurs, we have a representative democracy. And the, you know, if you look at the Constitution, the first three articles, legislative, executive, and judicial, and they're that way for a reason, because they thought the legislative branch was going to be the most representative of the people. Right. Uh, They didn't want a monarchy. They didn't want a king. That's what the Declaration of Independence is all about. We, we, we're, we're not kowtowing to a king or to a president, mm-hmm. whether his name is Trump or Biden or any other. Right. Let it be fair about it. Okay. Thank you so much for reviewing yeah. these Supreme Court decisions. And what we will do, we're going to wrap up the weekly wine for today. Um, I'm not sure where we're headed next for next week after all of these flurry of Supreme Court decisions, but we will absolutely figure out what the hottest legal topic is of the week. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC, and this is Dr. John Vile from Middle Tennessee State University, and we will catch you on the next Legal Weekly Wine.